Good morning. I will be reading Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Learning. When we ask, we learn. Jesus asked many questions during his ministry, but most of Jesus' questions were not asked to learn something he didn't already know. His questions were usually asked to teach us something we need to know. What can we learn from the questions Jesus asked? Before we jump into our question that Jesus asked, which will be in Matthew chapter 27, if you want to turn over there, let me just say a couple of words about our Angel Park Community Project that we announced on our centennial. I hope that you're excited about this opportunity. I am excited, and I think uh, much, uh, much of our leadership is excited about this opportunity, but I, I do want to share a couple of things about it. I think the more information we all have, the better prepared we are. And so let me just share a couple of things that really reflect some of our values here at the Edmund Church of Christ. And the first one is this, we truly want this to be a resource for our community. We are not interested in just building something and spending that much money on something that is just for us. Now, will we use it? Of course. It will bless our children's ministry, our youth ministry, campus ministry, Hispanic ministry, all of our Bible classes. So many of our ministries and so many things we do here will be enhanced because of that space over there. But if that's all there is, we don't want to do it. That is not what this is about. This is about accomplishing our purpose, our mission of connecting with our community, of loving our neighbors, of making disciples. That is what this project is truly about. And one of the things that we're all going to be expected to do is to dream and pray about how God can use that space to do just that, to love our neighbors, to connect to our community, to make disciples. Be thinking about ways that that you can invite friends and family and neighbors and people you work with to that space, how we as a church can do that. And then not just get them there, but to be there with them to have very intentional, meaningful conversations and to build relationships that lead to trust, that lead to sharing the good news. It simply is a tool. Just like so much that God has given us, especially the physical things, they are tools to be used for his glory and to bring people to come to know him. And so that's the first thing I want to tell you. The second thing is, and this also reflects a value of ours, as of right now, the plan is to have this as a debt-free project. In other words, we are going to build as much or as little as we have money given and pledged. Our plan right now is to not go into debt to build this. I think that's a good thing. Now, if you're like me, when you saw the price tag at first, you thought, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. And, and it is a lot of money. Just like everything these days, everything is more expensive, it seems. Have you been to the grocery store lately? I just can't believe it. A bag of chips is $5. I, I'm still struggling with that. But everything is more these days. But I, I got to kind of crunching the numbers and looking at it. And, and I guess what I want to say is it's, it's doable. And it's certainly God can do more than we ask or imagine, which is sort of our theme through this, this initiative that we're doing. But as you look at the numbers, we have a little over 300 single and family units as a part of this congregation, a little bit over 300 single and family units. And so just for example, if, if 300 single or family units gave over the next year 
$3,000 to this project, beyond regular giving, beyond Commission Sunday, $3,000 to this project. At the end of the year, you can do the math, we would have $900,000. I mean, think about that. $900,000. We could do all of phase one and all of phase two and a little bit more. That's remarkable if you think about it. Now, let's, let's be realistic here. Some of you, some of us, can and should give more than that. We're in a position, God has blessed us, and we should do more than that. But at the same time, some of you, some of us, we can't give that much right now. We can't do that. It's just not feasible. And that's okay. That's understandable. The, the thing is, we get to do this together. And that's one of the great things about being a part of a church family, especially a large church family, is we get to work together. And we get to complement each other in ways that honor God and that demonstrate the uniqueness and the dynamic life in the body of Christ. And so the important thing is that we want everyone to participate. We want everyone to be involved in this project. And so we together want to build that or as much of that as God would use us to build that. Because again, we, we're, going to, we're going to build whatever we have money to build. And so I guess one of the things that you can do right now as we move toward December 11th is to obviously pray, but also to have conversations, to dream, to think about how that space could be used, not just for us, oh, it'd be great for our Bible class, that's, that's, that's wonderful, but how could we use that space to really make meaningful connections with people in the community and then, not stop there, but they would lead to intentional conversations about Jesus. And so let's pause right now and let's pray over this process and let's pray over that project. Join me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity. God, you are good to us. You have given us so much. Often we forget that. Often we look at what we don't have, what we think we need and what we want. But God, you have poured out abundance to us. And Father, I pray that we would be good stewards of what you've blessed us with, that we would be responsible, that we would have the right perspective on things, the things of this world. Father, help us to realize that everything you've given us is simply to be used for your glory and to, you, to be used to advance your kingdom, to be used to, in ways that, that show our love for you and our love for our neighbor. So God, we lift up this, this entire project. We lift this up to you. We pray your guidance, your blessings, your help. Father, help us to see the vision that you've given us. Help us to capture that vision and to step faithfully into that vision, Father. I pray that you would continue to give us inroads into this community. Help us to find ways to meet and talk to and minister to our neighbors. Father, thank you for those opportunities you give us. May you be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it was dark. In fact, it was pitch dark, which isn't that unusual if it's midnight. But it wasn't midnight, it was noon. And darkness was overtaking the land. It was creeping across the land. And the people there witnessing it couldn't help but to notice it. Of course they noticed it. It was noon and it was getting dark. The darkness was invading the light. You see, that's what darkness does, doesn't it? Darkness consumes. It conceals. It conspires to destroy the light. Darkness is the backdrop that Satan often uses 
to act out his most egregious offenses against the world and against humankind. And certainly on this day, in that moment of darkness, Satan was hard at work to destroy the light. And out of that darkness, as he hung on the cross, Jesus uttered those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the question that Jesus asked. And we've looked at a lot of questions from Jesus, and this question is different, isn't it? This is the most jarring question that we have looked at. This isn't a question that Jesus has just asked his disciples. This isn't a question that is a response to those who are challenging his own deity that he was sent from God. This isn't a follow-up to a parable or a miracle where Jesus is trying to reveal some part of the nature of the kingdom that he is unleashing, that he is unveiling in front of them as he speaks and as he lives out truth and love. No, this is a different question. This is a gut-wrenching question from the depths of his soul to his own heavenly Father. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you abandoned me? When we see that question in the text, when we understand that Jesus asked that question from the cross, I think there's a part of us, if you're like me, you want to analyze it. You want to get out the microscope. You want to start dissecting. Because there's some threads that are hanging, right? There's some threads that are pulling up, these theological threads that kind of like on your sweater or on your coat, you just, you got to pull them. You got to ask the question, now wait, how could God forsake Jesus, his own son? I thought they were tied together. What this, you know, what about the, the Trinity and this triune relationship this permanent eternal connection between father and son what about that what about the omnipresence of God God is everywhere how could he not be in that moment how could he not be with Jesus and after all isn't God a God of love how could God abandon anyone certainly his own begotten his only begotten son but just for a moment I want you just to take in the story. I want you to stand there as one of the eyewitnesses to what is unfolding on that cruel cross. I want you to just take it in for what it is. Not to analyze it theologically, but just to stand there and to soak it up, to absorb the scene, to see Jesus, to hear Jesus. And what Jesus says is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's look at this text in Matthew chapter 27. Remember, Jesus, of course, has been arrested. He has been victimized through this mock trial, and he has been sentenced to death by crucifixion, and he is hanging on the cross. And let's try to see the dark reality behind Jesus' question Chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Now, this wasn't like an eclipse because during Passover, there's a full moon. So this wasn't just a, a natural thing. This was supernatural. Something was, was happening here that the people there nor us could explain except there's something supernatural going on. Verse 46, about three in the afternoon, 
Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, some versions say Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 47, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. You see, they misunderstood what Jesus was saying. They thought they heard the name Elijah. And they think that maybe Jesus thinks that this old prophet is going to come back the prophet that never really died, that was taken up into heaven, now he's going to come back and he's going to help Jesus? Verse 48, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine, vinegar, put it on his staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Apparently this is maybe an act of kindness. We don't know for sure, but whatever it is, it is quickly silenced from the mob mentality the people kind of sitting back watching saying no let's let's play this out let's see what happens he's calling Elijah let's see if Elijah shows up if Elijah shows up then maybe he is special well of course Elijah doesn't show up Jesus wasn't even calling Elijah verse 50 and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice he gave up his spirit I think that's an important way to word that I don't think that's an accident they didn't take Jesus's spirit from him he willingly gave it up he willingly went to the cross it was his choice his faithful obedience to his father he gave up his spirit Verse 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This sounds significant to me, doesn't it to you? A lot of times we read over that, we don't stop and think, can you imagine Can you imagine being in Jerusalem and you see someone that you went to their funeral two weeks before? Wait a second. What happened? What's going on? And clearly, this is symbolic of Jesus' victory over death. Jesus has conquered death. But we aren't there yet. Remember, we're taking in this scene. Sunday is coming, but right now it's Friday and it is dark. Verse 54, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. You see the centurion, those around him, they'd seen enough. They'd seen it with their own eyes. All of these events unfolding in front of them began to stack on top of one another and confirm to them that, uh uh-oh, we made a big mistake. This really is the Son of God. But let's go back to that question. Jesus' question, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus asked that question from the cross, He had something on his mind. He had a lot on his mind. But one of the things he had on his mind was Psalm 22. It's interesting, when you are backed in a corner, when hard times come in your life, when you face adversity or difficulty, when you're challenged, what's inside of you will often come out. If there's bitterness inside of you, 
It will come out in the form of anger or rage. If there's negativity inside of you, it'll come out in the form of complaints or anger or something else like that. That's just the nature of of humankind. When we are backed into a corner, what's inside of us comes out. When Jesus is challenged, when he is confronted, when he faces difficult times, what comes out of Jesus? Do you remember in Matthew 4 when Satan shows up to tempt Jesus? What comes out of Jesus? Scripture, God's word, for it is written. And here, Jesus is hanging on the cross, breathing, uttering these agonizing last words, and what comes out of Jesus? Scripture, God's word. Those who are there, especially those obviously who have Jewish descent who are witnessing the crucifixion and of course those after this event from the Jewish heritage they would also recognize this was from Psalm 22 here's how Psalm 22 opens verse 1 my God my God why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish my God I cry out by day but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Some of you hear those words and they sound familiar, don't they? You see, some of you have given voice to this same song. It's as as if these words were lifted right off the pages of your journal. You've not only sung this song, you feel like you've written this song. You know what it's like to feel forsaken. You know what it's like to be abandoned or forgotten by those that you trusted, by those who are supposed to have your best interest in mind. You know what it's like to be forgotten, to be hurt. And some of you even know what it's like to feel that way about God, to have your prayers not only unanswered, but feel like they are unheard, to feel like God has forsaken you forgotten you abandoned you your hearts resound with the lament of the psalmist from psalm 22 you've cried out from your own darkness haven't you my god my god why have you forsaken me and if that's the case i want you to know i want you to remember that jesus understands that he knows what that feels like that he knows what it's like to feel forsaken by his father to be forgotten by the one who is supposed to care for him Jesus knows what that's like but let me also encourage you to look through the darkness to look beyond the pain you see I think that's what Jesus's question helps us to do so why did Jesus ask this question how could a loving nurturing omnipresent God leave Jesus all alone in that moment in his time of need and again we put on our scholarly hat our analytical hat and we say well he was quoting scripture for fulfillment of prophecy or for those for the sake of those listening but remember we're just eyewitnesses we're just taking it in we're just absorbing the scene what's happening here isn't it possible isn't it probable that in that moment of darkness It was sin that separated Jesus from his father. And here's the remarkable thing. It wasn't his own sin, was it? It was your sin and my sin. Jesus took with him into the darkness of death the sins 
of the world. And our English language and our own understanding, they struggle to make sense of it, but in some way our sins put Jesus at odds with God. Maybe said a different way, our sins became or, or were between, came between him and God. Of course, God told us this would happen through his prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, at that moment that Jesus took on the sins of humankind, somehow our sins separated him from God. That's what sin does. That's the nature of sin. You see, God is a holy God. He is sinless. He is without sin. He is pure and holy, and therefore he cannot be in the presence of sin. He cannot coexist with sin because then it no longer makes him holy and sinless if he is in the presence of sin. That's the whole nature of holiness. It means to be called out, to be distinctive, to be sinless. So as the weight of the world's sins converged on Jesus on that cross, of course he felt forsaken by God. He was dying in sin, our sin. So what is, what is really happening here? What, what, are, what are the implications of his question? If we understand, okay, maybe, maybe I get it, maybe I know why he said it and, and I can't really get my mind around all of it, but I understand my sin, he bore my sin and that sin separated him from God. Where's the good news in that? Well, that is the good news. That is the heart of the gospel. You see, when those watching Jesus die on the cross heard those words from Psalm 22, they knew something. Most certainly, Jesus knew this. But maybe they knew it as well. They knew that that psalm had more than one or two verses in it, that there was more to the story, that there was more to be said. You see, you go back to Psalm 22. Yes, it starts with lament, but it moves to a place of vindication and ultimately exaltation. The bad news gives way to the good news. Good news, gospel. The psalmist goes from crying out, why have you forsaken me, to seeking the presence of God, to declaring the praises of God. Look back at Psalm 22, verse 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You see the different tone already? You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. You see the turn there in that psalm? In that short psalm, we see the turn from lament to seeking God, to finding God, to praising God. Echoes of the psalmist's lament can be heard at Calvary. Yes, it is dark. Yes, Satan seems to be winning the day, 
as he cast a shadow over the light. But there is more to the story. God has not hidden his face. As John would write later, John, who, by the way, was there watching all of this unfold in front of him, as he would write in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see what he says there? No matter how dark it gets, there is always light shining in the darkness. And that darkness, no matter how overwhelming, no matter how consuming, it will not overcome the light. It will not, it has not, it cannot. That dark Friday at Golgotha gave way to the light of resurrection morning. And so when you feel forsaken and you feel forgotten, especially when you feel that way about God, just remember God has not hidden his face. God is still at work. God is still accomplishing his goodwill. And that is the foundational truth of the good news. That Jesus was willing to be separated from God for a moment so that you and I could be with God for eternity. Isn't that the foundational truth of the gospel story? That Jesus took on your sins and my sins. That he took those away from us. That he bore those. And the impact those had on not only his physical life, but his connection to his heavenly father in that moment. But he did that willingly. Remember, he gave up his spirit. He did that willingly so that you and I could be with God for eternity so that we would be in the forever light of the Lord. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Last Sunday night, I got to join some of you over in the fellowship hall to hear the report by Dimitri Grischuk. Dima works for a church-based organization in Ukraine. He's been there for some time. He was teaching in the Christian school, and he was doing ministry, and now he's sort of focused on this organization that goes to the front lines and, and delivers aid and food and, and, and takes people to... Uh, to seek refuge in different places in the war-torn country it's as you know very difficult there he is separated like so many others from his family who took refuge in Croatia I believe and you've seen on the news you've seen in social media all the devastation in Ukraine you've seen the destruction of buildings and homes you know that lives have been lost and people have been injured and lots of people have been displaced Things are difficult there. Dima said that, that he goes nowhere in that country without a tourniquet in his pocket. I, th that startled me. I, I just thought that was interesting. And he actually had it in his pocket here in Edmond, Oklahoma. <laughs> it's just a part of what he does. When he leaves the house, he takes that with him. I mean, think about the symbolism of that. If you were, if you're going to go into the front lines in the battlefield, what would you take with you? Something to defend yourself, something to, you know, I don't know. What does he take? Something to assist others, something to help others. 
the organization that he works with. They, they transport people, they transport supplies and food. It is dangerous, it is difficult. And, and much of the country is without electrical power. I mean, they are literally in the dark. But even though there is so much darkness there, and I'm not talking so much about literal darkness, there is so much darkness in the form of war and evil and hardship. There's more to the story because the light of the Lord is shining even in that place of darkness. He said Dima and his other volunteers are not only taking food and, and supplies and, and medical care to people, they are sharing the gospel with people. You see, when you are embodying, when you enact the good news, it's a lot easier to share the good news because your actions are demonstrating what your words are speaking. When they show up, it is good news because they have food and supplies and they are taking people out of the front lines, but they also speak the good news of Jesus. People are being converted, people are being baptized. Lives are being changed for eternity. You see, God is still at work in the darkness. God is still at work in the darkness. Don't ever forget that. This week, as you go about, probably later this week, your Thanksgiving plans, you're going to maybe travel, or people are going to travel to see you, you're going to spend time with family, you may have some idle time, you're going to turn on the TV, you're going to see the news, you're going to go on social media, and you're going to start seeing all the darkness. And in your conversations, you're going to hear about the darkness. Don't let the darkness consume you. Because God is always at work, even in and through the darkness. The truth is, there is only one thing that can separate you from God, and that your, that's your sin. And Jesus has taken care of that. So why would you live in that sin any longer? Let go of it. Jesus is taking it from you. Don't let your sin separate you from God. Jesus willingly took it from you, so let him have it. Confess that sin. Move away from that sin. As John would write, walk in the light as he is in the light. And as we consider being eyewitnesses to the crucifixion, maybe Matthew included the centurion's confession, not just because he was reporting facts of what happened that day, but maybe he gave that to us as our entry point into the story. You see, maybe that story in Matthew chapter 27 isn't about when I feel forsaken or when I feel forgotten. Maybe it's about Jesus and what he has done. And maybe our only response is to be like the centurion who takes all of this in and simply confesses, surely he is the son of God. Surely this man is the son of God. And when you confess that, when you admit that, when you declare that and you believe it, it changes everything, right? It's got to. When you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, it changes everything about your life, your relationships, the stewardship of your resources, 
how you make decisions, your work and vocation, your mindset, everything. It changes everything. And when the darkness comes, and it will, and it does, rather than letting the darkness consume you, knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, you have hope, you have peace, you can live with joy, because you know God is still at work, even when it's dark. Have you made that confession? You know, we, we baptize people here, and, and we always ask them that question. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And you know how it was. If you've been baptized, you're nervous, you're scared. I remember yes, remember yes, say yes, say yes. That's, that's the only thing I have to say is yes. And then, the, you know, some... Somebody always throws in that, who is Jesus open-ended question, and you're like, uh-oh, I was going to say yes, and now you're asking me an open-ended question, right? We all give that confession when we were baptized into Christ. If you haven't done that, what are you waiting for? You've seen it. You've heard it. You know the good news. It's time to confess your faith in Jesus, to be baptized into Christ, to let him take your sins away from you many of us have made that confession many of us have been baptized into Christ but that day is not the only day you make that confession is it you see that's a daily confession every day you get up you live with the truth internalized in you that Jesus is the son of God and like I said because he is the son of God it changes everything And so as you live out your week this week, and I hope that you have a wonderful time, I hope that you get to spend time with loved ones and you get to be thankful and you get to eat a lot of food and have a good time, that's great. But I hope you also remember that you're living in the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And that shapes how you talk, how you live, how you choose, how you interact, how you do everything. So this morning, I just ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that even though there is all kinds of darkness in this world, God is still at work, that there is still light? And if so, what difference is it making in your life? If we can help you this morning, let us do that. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor room right behind me. They'd love to encourage you and pray for you. You can go there as we stand in just a minute. Or you can come down to the front and we'll encourage you. Or maybe today is the day that you're ready to put on Christ. If we can help you in some way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's.